Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to a new episode of Cashflow Unscripted. Uh, my name is Ankur Bagheria. Uh, first off, uh, my very best wishes for this festive season to everyone listening in, to their families and friends from all of us here at Cashflow. Uh, Cashflow Unscripted is a podcast coming to you from India with topical insights from leaders of the Indian business and the finance community. Um, I have today here with me Mrs. Uh, Vidya Srinivasan. Vidya is currently executive director and CFO at Puma India. She has a wealth of experience, over 20 years of post-qualification experience in areas of finance, uh, strategy, business planning, commercial and management. Uh, she's had uh, she's held multiple uh, leadership positions with the Alcibiade Group, uh, with Glenmark, and uh, with Carney. Vidya is a chartered accountant and an MBA from IIM Ahmedabad. Uh, today we plan to touch upon a couple of interesting topics with Vidya. Um, you know, from her outlook on the sports apparel and more broadly the retail sector in India to her views on the future of workplace and future of women at the workplace. Um, so we're really excited uh, to have you here, Vidya. Welcome to Cash Thank One. You. Thanks for having me here. Fantastic. Uh, now, Vidya, it's, you know, there's, it's no mystery that COVID has had a deep impact on the broader apparel sector in India. Uh, you know, with shops closed and consumer spending sort of refocused on, uh, you know, almost entirely on necessities and essentials, uh, it's caused a lot of challenges and reshuffling of plans for the, you know, for a number of corporates in the, in the consumer sector. Would love to hear from you on, you know, what was the outlook for Puma, let's say pre-COVID and, you know, how has COVID impacted your overall business plan? Um, so Puma obviously uh, was doing quite well uh, prior to COVID. I think 2019, um, you know, our sales growth was significant. Q1 also we grew um, both same store sales growth as well as uh, e-commerce channel growth uh, was uh, quite very healthy and uh, well in line with our plans for the year. Obviously with the lockdown, um, Q2 got impacted. Uh, we practically had no stores open in April as was everybody else. And uh, we also had shipment delays in the later part of Q2 once the uh, markets opened up or started opening up. Um, now we have kind of lived through the various phases of unlock. And as that has happened, uh, we have obviously seen our stores opening up in different parts of the country. Um, so we're still, uh, you know, partly open full time, some working for limited hours, limited number of days, depending on what the restrictions are in that particular geography. Um, and what we are seeing is that uh, we are getting good traction. Obviously, walk-ins continue to be impacted, though uh, they are jumping up in you know as as we progress. Uh, but our um, average uh, transaction value has gone up significantly. Uh, we are also seeing a lot of growth in e-commerce, um, and um, especially versus last year, also e-commerce is growing very uh, in very healthy numbers. Uh, so I think that is really helping us uh, from from that uh, from a business perspective. I think the other thing is from a category standpoint, uh, uh, which is the other question that you asked uh, me. Uh, I think compared to other retail categories, uh, the whole area of athleisure, sports apparel are actually doing very well because obviously, as customers are at home, uh, you know they want to dress in a more relaxed, comfortable uh, perspective. I think um, uh, at least anecdotally, we see that the investment in fitness has gone up. I think people are 
you know, even within the concern of not being able to go to the gym till some time back, um, you know, people are walking, running, jogging as, as much as they can do uh, within the confines of their homes or their societies. And I think uh, that is reflecting in, um, you know, our apparel uh, uh, share has grown significantly compared to last year also. Um, you know, we are seeing, um, you know, uh, fraction in the category compared to, I guess, other retail categories. Interesting. And if I may ask, uh, how has the, you know, how is the, uh, you know, how is e-commerce uh, as a share of your overall channel uh, changed post-COVID uh, if you're at the liberty of, you know, giving us some insight? <laughs> While I cannot uh, kind of comment on specific numbers, I can say that uh, e-commerce has grown significantly even compared to last year. So we're seeing growth versus last year. Um, and obviously, as a result of that, the share of the e-commerce business has grown. Um, in, in our current year sales. Because I would typically imagine that, you know, categories that, you know, Puma is present in, uh, you know, people would want to sort of go to the store. It's sort of a touch and feel product, you know, try it out, you know, kind of a product. Um, uh, do, you, do you believe e-commerce will continue to grow uh, and, and get a larger share of your overall retail pie? Well, we actually started our e-commerce business three, four years ago. And every year it's been growing significantly. I think what's happening is, first of all, um, uh, people are familiar with the product, familiar with their sizes, familiar with, um, because we do have a large network of retail stores. So people are familiar with those that kind of information. Uh, what we've also done is kind of over-invested in our website to make sure that the shopping in the website is a process that is easy for customers where people are able to kind of shop intuitively. They can look for, uh, you know, the kind of requirements that they've got. So I think between the two, because, because of the fact that we are present pretty much across the country and, you know, the website is, we believe, easily navigatable uh, for consumers, we are seeing a lot of traction. And not just our website, but also in other marketplaces. Yeah. Uh, you know, Puma is doing well. That's fantastic. I think that's very heartening to hear. Uh... Um, you know, when I first heard of, uh, you know, Zappos, uh, you know, back in, in the U.S. market, you know, I was uh, positively surprised that, you know, the kind of traction they were able to get, you know, I would imagine footwear is something that we would all want to try out. But I think, uh, you know, COVID has also forced consumers to uh, start thinking about uh, buying remotely and taking that chance, right? This is that, the first time. It's that nudge that is needed to try it out the first time. And if it works, then, you know, hopefully customers will stick as well. So, um, yeah, you're very right, Ankur, because I think what we are seeing is that, uh, you know, we are um, getting, you know, the penetration of the pin codes has extended significantly, you know, like, you know, tier two, tier three cities. We're actually seeing that traction. So I think a lot of people are purchasing uh, digitally and experiencing that for the first time, not just in our category, but in other categories as well which will have, I think, a fairly significant impact in how retail, uh, you know, operates. Yeah. And if I were to, uh, you know, ask you more from the, uh, you know, CFO's lens and the, and the finance leader's lens, how, what has been your approach to financial planning and forecasting with the onset of COVID? How are you sort of dealing with the uncertainty uh, in the long term post the lockdown? So, I mean, obviously, being a German company, we have a very, very robust budgeting and planning system where we plan. And obviously, being in the category that we're in, where we have to plan 18 months in advance for 
you know products and design and things like that we do plan uh, fairly uh, in advance but thanks to covid we've had to kind of throw out a fair bit of our forecasting out of the window and um, you know and i think that is obviously you know it's kind of taught us i believe as finance leaders and i speak to a number of cfos i think uh, we we've learned to become more nimble and more adaptable i think okay um and and i think what so if if you ask me about my approach to uh, you know planning and and it's not um, rocket science i mean it's i think what many many people have also adopted uh, uh on the revenue side really in march april we had no clue what was going to happen right i mean we didn't know when we were going to be opening up we didn't know how the lockdowns are going to progress how the disease is going to progress in india uh, will you know how our supply chain is going to work we knew that we had got bought an inventory and a lot of the inventory is already committed and as a company we did not re revisit our commitments and we kind of stuck to them so we knew that we had a certain pipeline that was coming in but that's about all we knew so i think uh, on the revenue side of course we had to then get into a scenario planning mode and saying okay you know optimistic pessimistic uh, you know realistic what do you think and then keep revisiting those scenarios uh, every uh, few months to kind of say okay what will be our revenues what will be the cash flow and therefore what would be you know the net negative or you know the what would be our cash position at any given point in time right, right? um so that was our approach to revenue and i think uh, cash if, if i look at it on the opex side and on the spend side i think our approach was of course um, you know much more around the zero based budgeting uh, standpoint so apart from essential committed contracted spends which we did not uh, you know revisit and which because we believe that we have a commitment and hence we have to follow through with our commitment barring that um, you know whatever was discretionary in nature we kind of um, we obviously revisited it uh, we wanted to have a clear roi around that and i think that is the approach that we've taken in all all discretionary spend areas right yeah and you mentioned forecasts uh, you know you sort of you know look at forecasts every few months um, you know post lockdown do you see the need of you know looking at this a lot more frequently let's say every month or maybe even obviously Uh, have requirements, uh, you know, uh, who uh, and who have to purchase raw materials as well, and we are dealing with suppliers. So we have to plan. The problem, of course, is that um, we don't know exactly uh, how much, how things are going to shape, and how things are going to pan out. So I think the important discussion that we have to have, both internally and with our global counterparts, is the element of risk and the degree of risk. that we want to take on the forecast right and hence on our purchases um i think that is basically dynamic and ongoing i think one of the things that happen is that um, a lot of these things you know are not visible right because when you take a forecast you are kind of assuming business as usual 
the growth and you know that's the challenge and the debate that we always have with business leaders how much are you going to grow your top line your margins you know how much is your profitability going to grow that is a discussion but i think here the discussion has become much more um specific to what are the assumptions which are inherent in those numbers what is and based on those assumptions how much of the risk are we willing to take as a company and yeah. so that dialogue around uh you know the level of risk that we are taking is i think something that um, has become much more tangible and i think that is something that is also um is is an important discussion right yeah absolutely i think that you sort of hit the nail on the head you know planning you know for those uh, risk tolerance you know how do you sort of uh plan for that and um does that also mean that from a supply chain standpoint you know there has been a material sort of shift uh from status quo for you uh, post pandemic um, not really in the sense that uh, a lot of our vendors manufacturers etc uh, you know are long standing relationships uh, people that we've been working with for several years uh, yeah. because uh, we obviously have as a as a company fairly stringent um, you know quality standards and things like that so they have kind of gone through all the certification and you know it's not something that we can change from year to year or month to month yeah um so i think that has not changed uh, and uh, you know but i think uh, the level of communication that we had to do um collectively is has obviously increased yeah. because you know while while our sales might have gone down they have already taken purchase calls and hence we needed to have that dialogue very uh, clearly of and and obviously even if we can't pick up they've already bought raw material they've already uh, invested in working capital so we've actually had to have that dialogue on how much we can support and what we can do yeah and uh, that's an interesting topic because uh, you know increasingly we've been seeing corporates uh, figuring out a way to support their partner ecosystem either on the supply side or even on the you know sort of distributor retailer side of things uh mm-hmm. in your case you know what's been the impact of uh, you know covid on the sme ecosystem especially on your supply chain on your you know upstream supply chain side right see as far as sme impact is concerned uh, uh, you know i think um, like i said earlier you know we uh, since our uh, planning and our purchase and our relationships are also fairly long term in nature um i think uh, we are the most important piece that we've had to do is to give them complete clarity around our plans uh, yeah. what we are doing how is it going to impact them what is the cash flow going to be and also what is the support that they require to kind of weather this particular time frame because yeah. like a, you know and i think that uh, that dialogue is something that our sourcing team has been doing continuously with with the uh, suppliers Mm. Has, uh, you know has it also meant that uh, have you guys explored any kind of you know supply chain financing solutions for suppliers or have they felt the need for you know managing their own working capital um i'm sure there have been some stress in the you know the finances how, how have you been dealing with that so i think we already have a pretty very robust supply chain now uh, financing solution in place uh which is uh, to kind of um, uh which they can access to and where the rates are pretty competitive right beyond that i think the problem was really in q2 when you know 
uh, supply chain financing kicks in when the goods reach your warehouse, right? I mean, yeah. so and you can discount it immediately. I think some of the problems that happened in Q2 is that obviously the goods could not reach because you know the country was in lockdown and uh, you know the logistics um, piece had still not been opened up. Yeah. So at that time, um, there was obviously a stretch as far as uh, suppliers are concerned because a lot of them had actually already, you know, purchased raw materials and in some cases they had manufactured the goods as well. And suddenly yeah. they could not ship it out because of uh, the lockdown. I think uh, in those instances, um, I think our sourcing team and finance were talking pretty much continuously uh, to kind of say where, what, what are the problem. And we've also given advances in some cases to kind of help uh, you know, their working capital situation. So I think that's how we kind of collectively manage the problem to the oh, extent we could. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, have you seen, you know, we've been, when we've been speaking to clients and corporates uh, across sectors, uh, we increase, uh, you know, to them as they think about their own sort of forecasting and planning and, of course, you know, supply chain management. Um, any, any thoughts, any, uh, you know, What's the wisdom for, for the listeners on that? About the risks that you're taking. Um, and that will obviously change as per industry segments, right? Um, in, in the case of retail, it is the inventory bet that you're making. And, you know, and given that, then in each scenario, what does it impact you? What does it mean for your future plans? I think that is something that we need to kind of get your arms around fairly quickly. Uh, the second piece is to be fairly collaborative in this exercise because... From a finance perspective, obviously we are more involved more in cash, but I think you need to have that dialogue and discussion with the relevant teams who are kind of handling that risk operationally, right? Whether it be sourcing, whether it be supply chain, to kind of have an ongoing discussion so that they are clear around it. And I think the third piece is that um, particularly cash in this situation, I was having this discussion with a bunch of uh, CFOs in many cases, at least prior to COVID, cash was something that the finance team managed. There are a lot of other KPIs which are kind of very clear to everybody in the business, but cash as a KPI tends to be a very finance uh, and, and potentially the CEO KPI. Uh, but I think um, this is now a KPI that is pretty much across the organization. And I think um, it's very important during something like this to make sure that all the stakeholders are completely aware of your cash flow planning because they can contribute to it they should be aware of it and you know and whatever they can do to support it is something that you need to kind of build so there is also a bit of culture of change management that needs to happen as a finance professional within the organization so that they are clear about what are your uh, issues that you are grappling with right as a company and as a leadership team that's interesting and when you say stakeholders, to what level uh, are we talking here? Uh, you know, only the senior leadership or maybe? We actually proliferated it down quite. I mean, we were very, very transparent, I think, as an organization. We used to have town halls every month mm -hmm. uh, where our uh, CEO used to kind of uh, take people through exactly what's happening in the business. I think that communication is important so that people don't feel that scared, worried, you know, lost. Um, you know, and you're sitting at home and you're reading all these newspaper reports and, and that can really cause uh, stress. So I think uh, we kind of um, communicated pretty much continuously. And uh, the second piece is, and in those sessions, we also talked about what we were going to do. And so I think that communication was there. And I think then people can contribute. There are people um, in different levels of the organization who written into me saying, oh, we were 
you know, where I've saved this much, I was able to do this. And I think that kind of shows, and that's that's a function of communication, right? And every yeah. little helps. Yeah. Also, it sets a certain DNA in the organization. Uh, when you see this happening top down, uh, where there is a very clear focus and there's a clear communication around what are the priorities and how are we approaching things, uh, that level of buy-in starts coming in at the you know at the lowest levels as well. And absolutely, uh, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, um, and which actually, you know, is a great segue into you know the, the next topic I wanted to touch upon, which was essentially the future of the workplace itself, and you know how do you see that evolving? Um, you know, especially given you know the segment and the category you operate in. Um, from an employee standpoint, how do you see this uh, playing out post pandemic? Okay. I mean, that's an interesting question. And I think uh, my response is not going to be specific to Puma, but but large by and large, because I mean, I talk to a lot of people from different industries, from different uh, uh, places. And I think what's happening is that I think as a country, while some segments had ad adopted working from home or being digital in the workplace and all of that, by and large, we had not done any of that, right? And I think uh, we continue to have fairly traditional setups in most uh, companies where you come in, you commute to work, and then you work from office, and then you leave. I yeah. think this has kind of opened up the eyes that it is possible to work uh, digitally. It's possible to be equally productive uh, digitally. I've had uh, you know, people who are traditional managers tell me that I never expected that you, know, you could still out give a certain level of outcome. I mean, we are doing audits now digitally. So there are so many things that we are actually handling. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, going back to a question on uh, office, the design of the office in the future is going to change. Uh, I think uh, because I think people are going to say, do I have to invest that much on office space? Can we still you know, have some level of this operating um, and have that flexibility operating? So I, I think that Longer term, it would there would be an impact on commercial real estate for sure. How do you how do you see what what's the what's the typical office going to look like? Let's say two years down the line. You know, I, you you were in consulting before, right? And I I used to be a consultant as well. And I think uh, in consulting we've had even from you know twenty years back we've had the concept of hot desking, right? You know, so yeah. you don't necessarily have a workplace. You will always have, um, you know, you go work out of client sites and then you come back and maybe three, four people are using one office, right? Yeah. But I think even companies are going to, so it's not a new concept, right? It used to be that, um, you know, companies in consulting, maybe some in IT have already adopted, right? Uh, but I think that is something that I think companies will also look at, you know, do I really need to have everyone especially in places which are expensive from a real estate standpoint. I mean, I don't understand why for example, if entire Bombay, the commercial real estate where people are spending, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of rupees per square feet on real estate, you really need that size of an office. You know, can you still work from with 50% capacity in the office and kind of do hot desking? So I think some of those tenets, which, which are established in certain industries will start moving into other industries as well. Do you see... Uh you know, people ever going back to a five-day work week? Uh, like I, five 
I I think people will right. I mean, because right now the work week, thanks to work from home, is five days if not more, right? Yeah. But will it be so rotational? You think, uh, or do you believe, uh, you know, for instance, will it be a mix of, you know, two days out of office, three days out of home, or you know, yeah, the, it 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 could be rotational. It could be like you know, teams were having you know one day, two days of work from home. kind of a concept i think those kind of things uh, will happen or you know for example if you have a good performer who wants to work from a different uh, city uh, you know giving the flexibility for people to do that i think those kind of options uh, will certainly become applicable yeah i think the the big risk there uh, potentially is that of uh, ensuring affiliation with the organization and storing um you know there's a certain you know office culture work culture that defines uh, you know an organization being able to retain that while employees are still working remotely i'm not sure how uh, you know tumas handled that during the lockdown but i'd love to hear your perspective on you know that particular aspect you know, given that let's say more and more people will start spending more and more time working remotely and that's a very good question and i think uh, that is something that hr practices will have to evolve to kind of handle um i think uh, i mean obviously in, in the future workplace i'm not suggesting that you know this kind of a thing would continue forever there would still be the concept of coming into work i would assume for a few days or few weeks uh, but not continuously but you know people like google facebook etc are already talking about actually making this a permanent thing and people working from whichever city that they are in and the city could be less expensive and so you are hearing this concepts in the us already right um so i think that will you know and see here as far as our experience during the lockdown is concerned um, i think i already said that we used to have a town hall once a week we would also have weekly check ins with our team um we would do function meetings especially for smaller teams smaller teams talking to each other on a continuous basis is something that is important we we use microsoft teams extensively so you have groups where people can chat and people can communicate i mean it's not ideal of course especially if you're new to the organization and you're still trying to build up you know uh, a question you like for example if you're a newcomer and you want to just ask a casual question you could do that at tea you could go and you know at a, you know at a break you could just have the question answer whereas you know setting up a call talking to somebody is a much more difficult um, you know question so it's it's things that we're grappling with but yes communication i guess continues to remain the key over here yeah i suspect the you know given the sort of business model you operate and and the space that you operate in uh, there will be a fair bit of on ground workforce in you know in retail outlets etc i guess that does that also change in any material way or do you see that to be you know remaining status quo post covid um i think there are two three things that changed i mean obviously our store staff uh, they great i mean even in the current situation they kind of came back and you know they've been absolute rock stars in terms of handling uh, you know all the sanitation hygiene i mean there are a lot of new norms that you put in place that they've had to learn and train for so i think they've done all of that i think even there we are you know what we are doing is obviously from a health and safety standpoint it's not just a one way thing but also what precautions they need to take because they are interacting with, with the larger public we've also kind of again communicated with them continuously about 
uh, you know, with, with them in terms of their concerns, their questions, any issues that they have. I think we've again, again, their two communication is the key. Yeah. Uh, but I'm assuming the rotational mechanism won't really work in the details. So. No. I mean, our stores are yeah. small. So it... yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and and with you know, one topic I definitely wanted to get your thoughts was thoughts on was around the, the role of women at the workplace and how is that you know evolving post COVID, especially you know given the whole remote working, um, we are seeing some segments of women actually entering the workforce uh, through remote opportunities, um, even to stop, even to stop, sort of support their family finances uh, given that they are seeing on that front. Um, some other segments of women have actually migrated back home uh, you know, given the challenges um, of COVID. Um, what are your thoughts on how this will impact women in the workforce, both office goals as well as, let's say, retail and uh, you know, commercial workforce? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I, I do some amount of work with, uh, you know, women groups and um, you know more more uh, unofficially and and um, you know work as a mentor uh, in certain women related organizations so i think uh, this is a discussion that has been happening fairly continuously in the last 6 months um, i think women whether they are working non working or working at home um, whatever be the case uh, i think there's been a significantly higher amount of pressure uh, that that has come upon them, you know, and um, so I'm hearing, uh, you know, stories of how women have to do, you know, a full day's work, but also do a full day's work at home because the help is not there. There's no, uh, because of the lockdown, you have childcare, you have, you know, kids going to school and a lot of that burden, um, you know, in many households uh, tend to fall wholly or partly on the, or you know, on, on the woman. So I think that obviously has caused stress and has, um, you know, there has been a lot of uh, uh, cries for help, you know, and, and uh, you know, the, so I, I mean, I hear a lot more communication in these groups about uh, that kind of issue happening. So I think there are three buckets I would like to kind of place this in. One is, and, and uh, some, some, some are good and some are bad. Uh, the good part, um, if I can start with, is that I think I've had, for example, women who who are about to come back from maternity leave, who uh, in my uh, team, who, for example, would have come back in March, but then thanks to the lockdown, have had a chance to kind of uh, forced to stay at home for the next few months. And they've been able to balance their work, they've been able to balance the child, and they've been able to balance everything. And it gives them a lot more flexibility. And I think uh, that has kind of also given me a fresh appreciation that, uh, you know, people, especially, mid, uh, you know, people who took a break from work and who had to go home, but who have a few hours that they can spare, I think it would give them a good chance to actually come back to the workplace because, you know, they can still continue to do that without having the stress that they'll have to commute for a couple of hours and they'll have to take time. They can't do full-time, but they can do part-time. So I think those opportunities can open up. Um, there are certain opportunities that women have had to be able to balance their work and home a little better. So I think that is a good good thing that has happened thanks to COVID. Uh, the negative that I'm worried about is about, you know, especially younger women, the age group of, you know, about to get married, who 
kind of come to the cities who are working from the cities uh, you know who took um, and who, who kind of were convincing their parents from year to year saying you know give me a couple of more years and then i'll get married and settle down and you know i will continue working and built up their resume career gives them a little bit of independence um, you know there there is a, at least a little bit of work experience that they have and now a lot of them have had to go back home and obviously are under pressure to get married and their life trajectory could change in some cases significantly right and i, I think that is something that i do worry about uh, you know that if if for example the ability to have a career gets compromised and hence independence uh, gets compromised that's uh, not um, a win and i think the second piece that happens is again mental health where you're balancing a lot and you know then and you're not getting support either at home or at work or both um then that can also be traumatic so i think those two things are the issues that could impact women during covid and what organizations do to you know, sort of solve for some of these challenges what are some of the imperatives for leaders uh, you know listening in what should they be thinking about i think there are two or three things that uh, you know we've been discussing um, both both within uh, puma and also within my women groups uh, one is um, i think it's very important to actually adopt work and work from home as a way to actually have a structured calendar if people have to block out couple of hours in their calendar then they should need, they need to do that i think the other piece that is also happening is because it's work from home the hours of home uh, are getting blurred you know that you get calls after you know for example you have this time where you kind of say okay i'm done for the day you know you're commuting back home but now people think that people are available throughout and can call you at any given point in time i think it's important to have a clear work day uh, which which actually ends and gives and you have to respect people's time um, i also have situations whether it be women or others colleagues who write to me and say listen uh, you know i won't be available for an hour because i have something else to do and you have to respect that right i mean you you know you have to kind of say that um you have to be aware that people have a life beyond work and you have to be able to balance um you know the work requirements with personal requirements and i think that's very important uh, as leaders to be aware and conscious of that um and and finally i think one of the things that is um, that can happen is you know you may not be exactly having the same issue you know but either because of uh, the fact that you have a help at home whether because uh you know you are older and you're beyond all these uh things that are happening and you're more senior and whatever else but you have to be cognizant that there are others who are grappling with very real issues that i have to do jadu pocha this morning and there is a call that has got scheduled for 8:30 and you can't attend that call because your child is just logging into home school i mean i think that that piece is uh, you know you need to learn to be a little more sensitive yeah i think uh empathy is the key in all of this uh, especially you know since we can't see them uh, in person uh, it's very hard to relate to challenges that people are going through in their respective homes um so all the more reason for uh, you know business leaders to proactively and deliberately think about um you know the potential challenges that employees might be going through and, and try to solve for that at a great points uh, thank you so much here with you um and look you know as we wrap up um, any sort of uh, you know words of wisdom on um you know what uh, cfos and and financial leaders can do to sort of um 
mean, they're within their own functions and more broadly their organization um, to, um, to sort of uh, help um, women in the workplace. Uh, any other any other thoughts that you could share? Okay, from a CFO perspective, I think one uh, learning for myself, which I would like to share is that, uh, you know, no matter how experienced and senior you think you are, you know, the, the world can throw you a curveball, right? And um, I think, um, so therefore, it's important to kind of uh, be aware of whatever is happening, right? I mean, and that means that is learning education, uh, you know, and, and people keep saying, yes, change is the only change, but it's not just change, it's about preparing yourself for that, right? And just um, kind of building up your skill sets to be able to deal with it. So I think that's important. Um, as, as a woman and as a, um, uh, you know, and as a woman leader, I think for me, um, it, and it's work in progress, right? I mean, it's very easy to get carried away by, you know, the immediate requirements of, of um, you know, of the job and what needs to be delivered today, tomorrow. Uh, but but like you rightly said, empathy, empathy and, you know, at least learning to listen. Um, because, and I'm, I'm a culprit for that also. You know, sometimes you're just caught up in whatever is happening at that particular point in time. Um, and, at, and at least at work, you are able to see that person, right? You can pick up cues a little more easily when you're right in front of the person and you know the person is looking tired, angry, upset, whatever. Uh, it's more difficult to do that, uh, you know, on a Zoom call. So I think just learning that piece and at least be a little more uh, present and, and listening, I think is, is something I've at least tried to learn during this period. Oh, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Vidya. Uh, I think uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that's pretty much it from us, uh, you know, on this episode of Cashflow Unscripted. Uh, Vidya, we hope to have you back on the show soon again. Uh, but you know, for now, I think that's all from us. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. And it was um, a really fun discussion. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks everyone for listening in. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, do consider subscribing to us on Spotify or Apple so we can gently remind you when the next episode is out. Um, stay safe uh, and have a good day. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.